Thank you, ladies, so much. Good morning, and happy Mother's Day, Lord's Day, a combination of the two, which gives us the opportunity to put in perspective the ways in which God has gone about constituting the home. And so the passages that have been read to us have a direct implication. I love the fact that we are dealing with multiple generational aspects of the readings of the scriptures this morning, because you're going to see the multiple aspects of the generations described in the passage that we're considering, particularly when you and I get to verse 5 of the first chapter of Second Timothy. It's an interesting Sunday, too, for a pastor because there's such shifting in the various services as people kind of repopulate whether they be in one service or in a different one so that they can be together with extended family to do family-type things after. And so no matter how we're positioned today, we're under one Lord, Jesus Christ, as we look to him now in prayer. And our Father, as we're coming before you, we're coming before you as people that want to keep Jesus Christ first in all that we do and in all that we say. I pray in particular now for people who are pondering, processing the whole responsibility that comes with being a mother and with being a grandmother. There are certain layers of truth that are embedded in the heart that seem to make a connecting point to various children and grandparents in the inner natures of, the, of that person's life. There's somebody here that may be burdened right now to see a child, grandchild, come to saving faith in Jesus, and we pray that that will happen. We pray at the same time, Father, for those that are processing the loss of a mother, a grandmother, they're thinking about it now, and that loved one is no longer with us. But what we want to do is to take, to glean, to process the truths that are found here in your word. Somehow correlate the memories that we have to the truths that we read. So that we're better equipped to minister to those among us, those around us through the course of this week, and to the generations still to come as the baton of truth continues to be passed on from one to the next. Father, you know the needs that are here. You know the struggles that we face, the challenges that sometimes seem insurmountable, but you are good, you are gracious, you are sovereign. And we rely upon that sovereign God who has paved the way for salvation through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And we're here today because of the one who died yesterday for our sins. Thank you. So, Father, in these minutes to come, when we connect a Lord's Day to a Mother's Day, when we connect generational, multi-generational aspects of parenting to scriptural teachings pertaining to family dynamics. No matter single or married, parent or not, 
warm these hearts, engage these minds, shape these wills. I've come here again to see Jesus and him only. Praying these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Ever walk into one of those sacred moments? It was somewhere in that two or three o'clock time period of the morning hour, and all of a sudden I heard this murmuring that was getting a bit louder. And so I got up out of bed and wanting to check out, make sure all was okay, made my way to, to the door and stopped right there, you see. Because my mother was on her knees and she was praying. Now, in times like those, you don't take another step forward. You stand, in fact, you're prone to want to retreat, except that I heard her use my name and then begin to work through a prayer list with various things that were on her heart. As I stood there, I sensed I am in the presence of holiness, and you don't barge in to the sacred. You're not even sure if you should inch in. You stand at the door and you are a bit taken aback by the intimacy of the moment. The heartfelt condition from within. And a thankful spirit for what you have just encountered. And a memory has been created in her oldest child, Gary for the next generation to pass on to still the next in terms of the stories of the past of faith that relate to the issues of the hour requiring faith. Those of you that are parents, mums in particular this morning, are you creating stories of faith? Where whether or not the children have made their presence known to you or not, Somehow, some way, they have been given an opportunity because the door was open for them to be able to get a glimpse, a snatch, if you will, into the state of your soul. I have a feeling that Timothy now has a tremendous opportunity as he's processing the words of Paul to think very wisely about this matter of salvation and how this legacy of faith has impacted his life as well. He would be the first to tell you, as he had been mentored, of course, by the Apostle Paul, that we are not saved by good parenting. We are saved by God's grace. But good parenting... Lord willing, has presented us opportunities to be aware of salvation by God's grace. Now, what we see in these verses before us, in some way, shape, or form, are the spiritual fingerprints of prior generations upon this young pastor who is now processing truth in light of how God has positioned him within the extended family 
And lo and behold, what you and I are going to see here is that Paul has this capacity to bring to the forefront memories of faith. Memories of the faith of a grandmother whose name was Lois. Memories of faith of a mother named Eunice. And now collecting the two genders within this passage. Now talks about these faith shapers, if you will and the way in which these spiritual fingerprints are now found upon the life of Timothy. Just as you and I find that in our extended recall of what has taken place in times past, we've got memories that seem to converge on a Mother's Day and in weeks to come a Father's Day. So likewise now, what the Apostle Paul does here is he collects memories, pulls them together, and presents two significant considerations for you and for me to process as we're trying to figure out how to honor mothers on a day that is the Lord's Day and requires us to think strategically and biblically about authentic faith. Two considerations, and the first flows really out of verse 1 down through verse 7, the first chapter. That as we honor mothers and grandmothers here, present or past, I want you now to consider with me the sincerity of their faith, which has been evident to us. Now we're talking ideally. But in verse 3, we're told that Paul says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, which immediately informs me he's got a retrospect unfolding in front of his mind. He's looking back. So now as we begin to collect our thoughts and retrieve ideas and events and experiences and conversations from time past, We allow the scriptures then to guide us, as Paul wrote, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. And notice his utilization of memory. As I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy but still working with that sense of memory. in verse 5 goes on to say, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure it dwells in you as well. Now we're going to get our arms around verse 5 and get a grip on all that's said here, because there are two, no, there are three significant distinctives of faith that have generational aspects attached to them. Notice as Paul begins to collect memories, he talks about, first of all, a sincere faith. In verse 5, he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, But then something is triggered in his thinking. He now goes back in time 
a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Three generations, both genders, all attached. And notice what stands out is that there is here a sincere faith, a faith that obviously has been placed in Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior. Now, when you are reading about Timothy, you're going to want to go back to the book of Acts and ponder the way in which Paul came about his own encounter with these generations of people. What stands out is that Timothy's grandmother and mother were Jewish. Furthermore, it is very obvious that they were steeped in the Scriptures and teachers of the Scriptures of the Older Testament. Timothy's father was a Gentile, not a Jew. Interestingly, the father's not referenced in these verses, only the women. Maybe the father passed away in Timothy's childhood. It is also interesting that Paul refers to himself when speaking of Timothy at this point. He refers to Timothy as my son, which tells you and tells me then that even though Timothy had been raised in the Scriptures through the teachings of his mother and grandmother, it was the Apostle Paul that came along and led each of those generational figures to saving faith in Jesus Christ. It's as if Paul connected the dots. Timothy would have been taught the stories of Abraham having been declared righteous by God on the basis of faith. Timothy would have processed the Isaiah 53 teachings with regard to the need for a substitute to die for his sins. Paul would have informed him that one has come in the name of Jesus. But what stands out now, generationally, is that there is what is described here as a sincere faith. This sincere faith is memorable. It is also testable. And you say, Gary, explain. What is interesting about that word is that it came from a word used to describe the marketplace in the time of the Roman Empire, the time in which Paul wrote. And he would have known that Timothy probably had gone with mother and grandmother to the marketplace on occasion when he was younger. It could have been that the mother, Eunice, or grandmother Lois, would have been looking at an art piece, pottery. What is interesting in that time period is if somebody was selling pottery, they would have over their door one word, sincera. Because what that artisan was doing was saying that this pottery has integrity. There are no cracks. It meant literally that which is without wax. Because what a person who is about to purchase pottery would do would be to take the piece of pottery, hold it up to the light to see if the sun would shine through And if the sun would shine through, that means that wax was utilized to cover any cracks in the pottery. 
the artisan marketing his or her pottery would be saying, this is without wax. In other words, what you are examining now has complete integrity. Now you personalize that. And what Paul is saying to Timothy is that when I consider, when I recall, when I remember your grandmother, and when I ponder your mother, and when I consider you, what I see now is sincera. You you authenticate the claims of faith that are found in your own life experience. So if you are a mother here today, what happens on a daily basis in your own personal experiences is that somehow, some way, some shape, some form, your life is being held up and the light now is, is moving. And the question is, is that person in the home or now outside the home able to say that there is sincere here? That there's a sense of integrity about the faith that's here because your faith has been positioned exclusively in Jesus Christ. Not in your religion, not in your denomination, not in your personal preferences, but in Christ, in Christ alone. Because you never know when somebody is standing at the door room of your life. Watching, observing, listening in as I was at 2 o'clock in the morning. And processing the sincerity of faith that's there. Not only is this woman distinguished by a sincere faith found in verse 5. This woman is distinguished, furthermore, by an indwelling faith found in verse 5. Paul says, I am reminded, as he writes to Timothy, of your sincere faith. But now, underline the word dwelt. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well, that word dwell reappears with Timothy. Now, as a parent and as a grandparent, you can't just simply transfer faith to the next generation. You cannot impose the gospel, but you have the opportunity to expose the gospel to the next generation so that they themselves personalize this faith that it has sincere marked over the doorway of your life. This is not only a sincere faith, it is an indwelling faith. That word dwell here carries with it the idea of permanent residence. In the time period in which Paul wrote, there were inns, the people would come and spend the night in and then head on the next day. But what he's describing is not an inn, but a home. He's describing not that which requires an opportunity to simply house visitors. What he's describing here is a setting of the heart that has permanence etched all over it. That when the trials of life come and there are opportunities for faith to be cracked, 
there is sincerity of faith, but there is a dwelling of faith. It is fixed and permanent, not temporary, even when the negatives of life come our way. Which struck me again at that two o'clock moment in the sacredness of the hour, that one would be on her knees praying, totally unaware that somebody was listening in. And when she got to the last name of one who had now gone to be with Jesus, she was still pouring her heart out to God. This stands out to us. This ministers to us. This gives us now a sense that when we examine our own faith and relationship with God, do people have a sense that faith is just simply something temporal? which is very practical when things are going my way, but to be dismissed when the trials of life come? Or is there a sense of permanence indwelling with sincera over the doorpost of my life? You tie that now with a third distinctive, that not only is this a sincere faith and an indwelling faith, this mother, this grandmother, but also now this young man is marked by an evidential faith. It is evident to the Apostle Paul, outsider looking in, Eunice had put faith in Jesus. Lois had put faith in Jesus. Timothy has now put faith in Jesus. The evidence is there. The evidence ministers. And now people are blessed as a result. And when you triplicate that faith, and you make that faith such that it's sincere, indwelling, and furthermore evidential, it creates a memory that gets transferred, that story, to the next generations. Dr. Paul Brand has written a book, Pain, The Gift Nobody Wants. Not the onset, when you and I think about that title, we would say, well, I don't view pain as a gift. But you see, this brilliant wise surgeon had served in India, where leprosy was abundant in form. And he began to realize, as he worked with one leper after another, all of whom shared that common feature of having no ability to sense pain, Therefore, they would walk across hot coals. They would hammer a nail into a door utilizing their hand, not a hammer or something to that effect, because they would not realize that they were producing harm to their body. They had no gift of pain to be able to warn them of the consequences. So he teaches the value of the warning system, the gift of pain, telling you and telling me when there is something wrong at stake in life and in this world. In the midst of his storytelling, he references his mother. She and she had lived in the hills called Mountains of Death. I lived with my parents for nine happy years in the Mountains of Death before going away to England for schooling. And while he went to school, his mother and father father, likewise a doctor, stayed in India and continued to minister to those who were in great need. Mother was 67 when I first went to India as a surgeon. 
My father had passed away. We lived only 100 miles apart, though it took a full 24-hour journey to reach her place up in the hills. Her active years in the mountains had taken a toll. Once known for her physical beauty, her skin was now weather-beaten, body infested with malaria, and walked with a limp. She had broken an arm, cracked several vertebrae, being thrown off a horse. I expected she would be retiring soon. How wrong I was. At the age of 75, still working in the hills, mother fell and broke her hip. She lay all night on the floor in pain until a workman found her the next morning, and four men carried her on string and wood cut down the mountain path to the plains, put her in a jeep for the agonizing hundred-mile ride over rutted woods. Meanwhile, she shared the good news with them, the need to put faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Mother, it's time you retire, I said. I produced various arguments which were absolutely compelling to me, but she was unmoved. Paul, she said at last, you know these mountains. If I leave, who will help the village people? Who will treat their wounds, pull their teeth, and teach them to put faith in Jesus? I've never quite put together in one sentence, pulling teeth and putting faith in Jesus for salvation, but she pulled it off, you see. When someone comes to take my place, then and only then will I retire. In any case, why preserve this old body if it's not going to be used where God needs me? What do you say to that? No one else on earth, I realized then, commanded such devotion and love from the villagers. They were looking at a bony, wrinkled old face. But somehow her shrunken tissues had become transparent, and she was all lambent spirit. To them, to me, she was beautiful. And Granny Brown had no need for a mirror made of glass and polished chromium. She could see her own reflection in the incandescent faces around her and all of those who had put their faith and their trust in her Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, how do we go about at a very practical level ministering in that kind of context? If you have the privilege still of communicating with your mother, what are some of the things that I've got to bear in mind? In the latter part of this week, I had a conversation. We were talking about loss and how you minister to a mother who has experienced loss. She speaks from firsthand experience, as would my mother. And so I went back to my office and sat down at the desk, and I began to think about all the special distinctives that throughout each and every day of the year we need to harness 
in order to be more effective in communicating a sense of honor to the one that we love. At a very practical level, here are five distinctives that I pen for my own personal usage for each and every phone call and visit she gets from me. That I need to be able to identify the special days on her life calendar. Not only the birthdays and the anniversaries, but also significant days, including when someone has passed away, which will shape the way in which I go about honoring her in the communications at that point in time. Another distinctive, not only the days on her life calendar, but also the special stories that she retells. Behind that story is a sense of value. The value is such that when she repeats the story, what she's informing me is that this is of significance to her heart. And somehow I'm going to have to take the repetition of that story and minister to that need. The special days on her life calendar. The special stories of her retellings. Thirdly, the special events of her past that stand out to her. Vacations, travels, unique dynamics. Fourthly, the special rooms in her house. One room might have tears still dripping down the walls from a late-night conversation with a sibling who had been struggling with some issue in life. Another room might simply be shouting laughter. Walls of laughter as stories were retold and experiences were shared that lifted everybody's life and heart at that moment. And as I walk through that house, I have to identify that's the particular room where someone passed away. That's the particular room where stories were shared around a table. There's a room where laughter seemed to fill the walls. And then to identify the special people in her life. Where in some cases it seems as though they've passed away Though dead, they still live, where she recounts them as if they're still in the present tense. Now what you do is you take those various distinctives and you weave together ministries of grace, influences of faith, and bring Jesus back to the forefront of all that's occurring. Because you're honoring her for the sincerity of her faith. It's been evident to you and to others. It's a sincere type of faith. It's over the doorpost. It's an indwelling faith. It's permanent. It's not temporary. Not fleeting when the trials of life found their way into her life experience. It's evidential. You saw it maybe at 2 o'clock in the morning. She's on her knees. Or maybe it was just something that you recall from a time in a worship service when eyes closed she had reverently been worshiping her Lord. 
But there's another consideration I want to draw out. This is the one that Tammy read about in chapter 3, in verse 14, down through verse 17. That secondly, as we honor mothers and grandmothers, consider the authority of God's word, which has been taught to us, the sincerity of her faith, which has been evident to us, combined with the authority of God's word, which has been taught to us. So now, what has been penned scripturally has been lived out personally. The authority of the word has now etched itself in the sincerity of her faith. And in verse 14, Paul wisely now gets personal. But he still is connecting Timothy to his heritage. And now Timothy is pondering what he had learned in the home. But as for you, Paul says to him, continue in what you have learned. Don't stop. Don't walk away from it. That would have been the heartbeat of a godly mother. To be able to say, and now finding that Paul himself is saying it for her, continue. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And now what Paul is saying to minister to the heart of that mother and grandmother as he now speaks to their son, their grandson, is the challenge of continuance. Continue in the gospel. He answers three questions, the what, the whom, and the when. The what question is answered in what you have learned, you see, and have firmly believed. The whom question, from whom you learned it. The when, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. And you process that at the time of his mother's passing. She opened her eyes and he was, he was reading the Bible. And she, and she said, son, what are you reading? She said, well, actually, I'm not just reading, I'm memorizing. What are you memorizing? 1 John 5, he said, 5 through 12. She said, recite it for me. He said she hadn't even been really aware of his of his presence, but all of a sudden opened the eyes, challenged him like a mother would, and now he's got on the spot to do recitation for his mother. He said, back to childhood all over again. Recited it, completed it. She said, good, do it again. He did it again, and then she closed her eyes. She closed her eyes. 
after she heard the continuance. Do it again. He had a what. He had a whom. He had a when working in that experience. So did Elizabeth Elliot. In one of her fine books, she describes her experiences with her mother. Mother did not think of herself as deeply spiritual, but would go on to say, nonetheless, she would go to her Lord, whose name is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. She asked his help, and she would ask daily. And Mom always had her little rocker, as she would call it, in her bedroom, next to the little antique sewing table, which stood under the window. And on top of its crisp white linen cover was the neat stack of Bible, hymn book, red prayer notebook with a pen handy, and mother, as erect as Whistler's mother, sat in that chair reading, singing softly, praying, and occasionally jotting something in the margin of her Bible or in the, in the notebook. Elizabeth Elliot adds, she believed every word, every word of it to be inspired by God for profitable, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in the righteousness. When I reached that section of that chapter, and I began to ponder how that sincere type faith, that indwelling faith, that evidential faith had impacted the next generation, the next generation, my time at Wheaton, there were five or six descendants that were in my class telling stories about their heritage. I saw firsthand, you see, some of the legacy of what's described here. But there's a particular point where Elizabeth Elliot very humbly tells us of a time in which a notation sends a deep pang to my heart as I write this book. With a red pen, Mother wrote my initials and a date, and I remember the pain I was causing her then, but I thank God for grace and mercy today in the margin next to the text. And at the bottom she wrote, quote, No strength. We know not what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. Second Chronicles 20.12 And if you're a parent and you've reached that point where you say, I have no strength, just don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you, you're in keeping with the Spirit here. The continuance of the gospel, the conviction of the gospel, of the scriptures that all Scripture is breathed out by God. You've got the divine breath. The scent of the breath. And notice the four fours. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof. That's one set that deals with doctrine, what we are to believe. For correction, for training in righteousness, which is the other twin set, deals with conduct and how we live. 
We don't separate doctrine from conduct, from what we believe, from how we live. It all fits together in the four fours. And when you couple that and you group that and you combine that, you can embrace verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, so purposeful for living, that then you harness your thoughts and you allow the life experiences combined with the biblical teachings to soak your soul when at 2 o'clock in the morning you hear your name and you walk in the room and you find out the one praying is on her knees. Are you a faith shaper? As the worship team comes forward, let's look to our Lord in prayer. Thanking you, Lord. Praising you for who you are. Giving honor to you for how you work. You are the creator of the feminine heart. You understand it. You know the layers of memories. You know the richness of truth. You know the imprints of Scripture upon that heart. May the mothers today find themselves encouraged and enriched by your word. May all of us find ways to honor her on this special day. We give you praise. In Jesus' name.